0: Top Shield, a long-form discussion podcast about musical topics both past and present. I'm Gabe, and I'm joined as always by Dan. Hello. And Eric. Hello. Before we dive in, I've got a little field trip to report on. I went and saw Chai at the Empty Bottle in Chicago. This was on January 25th, so about two weeks ago now. Uh, Have either of you guys listened to Chai? No, I haven't.
1: Uh, I did just a little bit, um, but not not a whole lot.
0: Well, they are... um, you know, they they really were my favorite thing when I first checked them out. But then I happened to catch a stream of theirs at the Pitchfork Fest last uh, year. And they just looked like so much fun that when I happened to be in Chicago, I thought I should go. And, you know, I bas- basically, this venue was really awesome. It's really, like, nice, divey place with actually, like, really cool lighting and stuff behind the artists and everything. Good sound. But they I was a little um, miffed because <laughs> they, you know, the ticket said something like, Doors open at 7, show at 8, but the show, the first, you know, performer didn't actually start till 9.30, then the next performer at 10.30, and then Chai at 11.30. So, you know, you get a little grouchy, like, just being at a super crowded bar with nowhere to sit or whatever for that long. Um, Everyone under 30 just uh, switched off the podcast. Yeah, well, no, I I asked some people, like, you know, there were people strolling in at like 11, and I was like, is this normal? And they were like, yeah, never... Never show up on time to an empty bottle show. So I was like, oh well, fuck. Okay. Um, but I only mention that because by the time like the opening notes of Chai, all my grumpiness just faded away because they seriously are so much fun. It's like they have this kind of cutesy Japanese girl group thing, um, you know, complete with like choreographed moves and everything, and yet it's like cranked up to eleven to where it's almost a send up of that. You know, it's like such a Hyper sugar rush that it's you know a little tongue in cheek, maybe. Um, and it's got this almost like shoegazy element, but still very like fun, shiny, funky pop. Um, and it's just the craziest show. I mean, like, the they do these like little choreographed things, like you know, switch costumes and dance around and stuff. And like, at points end up rocking really hard while still doing these like cutesy little uh you know choreographed like pigtail bounces back and forth you know stuff and it's just like the craziest thing so i just strongly strongly recommend that uh you guys see it i don't know if i sold dan but darren you're a bit of a uh, you can be a bit of a weeaboo just to be honest (laughs) does this sound appealing to you i mean
1: cute japanese choreographed dances i'm in Like, let's sign me right up and honestly like i i checked them out before because i think pitchfork was like you know reviewing i think their their latest album and yeah. you know i just based on a a quick browse i i thought okay this is kind of interesting but i don't know i i didn't really catch anything in my initial listening but you know it definitely sounds like the live experience is something worth uh seeing
0: yeah absolutely but um all right let's jump into today's topic we've been wanting to do some sort of jazz themed discussion for a while now and we finally decided Why not just jump straight into the deep end with a full episode on free jazz? Though there were plenty to choose from, we settled on perhaps the two most famous free jazz albums, Ornette Coleman's Free Jazz, A Collective Improvisation from 1961, which gave a name to this most challenging of genres, and John Coltrane's Ascension from 1966, which brought it to the masses. We want to do a deep dive and a compare and contrast with these classic LPs, but we're also going to use them to interrogate the genre as a whole and figure out how the hell one gets into free jazz to begin with. Now, I want to circle back to some of these uh, bigger questions, but let's start by talking about our feelings about free jazz in general, our personal histories with these albums in particular. What about it, Dan?
2: Yeah, um I'm I'm a huge uh free jazz fan. Uh some of the the late period John Coltrane some of my favorite music uh ever. Um so I I'm, I'm a big Sun Ra fan. Uh I've only been to one jazz concert in my life and it was uh Peter Bratzman. Uh so I am I'm, I'm pretty <laughs> um, in on it. <laughs> um so I uh,
1: I consider myself a fan of jazz. Um free jazz I'm a little less uh as enthusiastic back, or as enthusiastic about, I guess I would say, and both of these albums, I kind of came to fairly new, even though I consider myself a fairly big John Coltrane fan, for instance, but just not, not have not having a lot of experience with Ascension.
0: Yeah, for me, you know, we talked about this a little bit on our Captain Beefheart episode, but. I felt this compulsion, you know, years and years ago, just that I didn't understand free jazz, but I had to figure out how to get it. You know what I mean? And, um, (laughs) so it was like these records, I spent a lot of time listening to them just over and over and just trying to understand it. In fact, I did this, like, there was like a period in my life when I, I. Jazz in general, I couldn't understand and like just forced myself to get into it. I I rented a jazz textbook from the library <laughs> and it came with like a couple CDs. So it'd have like example songs of different periods and artists and stuff. And I just like worked through the whole thing until it started to make sense. And I would just spend so much time listening to like each period of jazz. And the free jazz was definitely the hardest. But you know, just like with Captain Beefheart, it was at a certain point it just stopped sounding bizarre to me or difficult to me even like Bratzman. you know it's just and now it's like such a like i've internalized it so much that i i really do listen to this kind of music uh music influenced by free jazz like probably primarily that's mm-hmm. like the thing that i really listen to um so let's start with the biggest question of all what is free jazz how would you define it
2: i mean it's a difficult thing uh to define uh, i think but but, but basically it's free improvisation you know it, there may be like a skeleton uh of a song that that's written but but the ultimate um goal or or, or whatever during the the playing is to just play what you feel uh you know it, mm. it's it's not concerned with like specific chord changes or or modal things you know like like previous uh jazz genres and all it, it's just Free, you know? I mean, it's a it's a,
0: a great descriptive uh, genre title, really. Go ahead and pass it's, it's
1: it over a, here, uh, Dan.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think there's a little bit of a, like, you know it when you hear it kind of a thing. Sort But, of, but yeah. how would you define it, Darren?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, when you think about jazz music and you think about, you know, in comparison to free jazz, you think about boundaries, right? You think of, like, okay, well, you know, jazz has got... A, you know, pretty clear rhythm, drum beat, like, you know, we're following some sort of a time signature. There's even, like, there's almost, like, you can almost simplify it down to, like, a verse, chorus, verse. Like, you just kind of know where you're at at all times. Um, and then when you get to free jazz, like, you kind of, like, break down all of those boundaries where you're just no longer held that back by any sense of, like, you know, you know, a consistent melody, or, like, here we here we are with this passage, and, like, this is the only... You know, we're we're not going outside of this. Here, with Free Jazz, you're kind of allowed, like Dan sort of said, to just kind of freely improvise and go in whatever direction you seem to want. And then, you know, at, at different points throughout this seemingly long piece of improvisation, you kind of circle back and you kind of bring things together in a brief passage, but then you just kind of unleash again. And, you know, to me, I just get this, feel this sense of like all the boundaries that you would normally have understood with jazz music is kind of just broken down and you're sort of like freely exploring.
0: You know what I mean? Yeah. It is actually really interesting because I think jazz as a genre, you know, prior to free jazz, it's really fascinating because it's often about like setting up parameters and then exploring within those parameters. You know, it's Mm -hmm. jazz. Often they'll play these like standards, you know, sometimes they're jazz standards, but sometimes they're, you know, like pop tunes, like my favorite things famously by John Coltrane, um, where that, like the key sets up the, you know, parameters. And then within that, you dig around and explore. It's always been about improvisation and creativity. Although, you know, it's not only about that. There is composed jazz and stuff. But um once we get here, you then do away with it's like the same idea, except for you do away with like those parameters, the the holiest of parameters, which are like, you know, key and tempo and you know the thing the rules that nobody thought that you could actually break. You know? Um, so on that note, I kind of want to talk a little bit about where free jazz comes from. I guess my opening question is, you know, do you guys see it as like kind of just, you know, exploding out of nowhere or do you feel like jazz kind of slowly evolves into this or what? I
2: think jazz uh, slowly evolves. You know, I mean, when, when you think of like very early, you know, Dixieland, uh, sort of New Orleans jazz, it I mean, it's very different from, uh, you know, just modal jazz and bebop hard bop all that stuff you know everything like sort of very uh slowly like becomes you know more and more like towards the avant-garde until we get to you know free jazz and and fusion which sort of like change the rules uh completely both in their own ways but you know free jazz just sort of completely does away with them and you know fusion ad- you know adds rock and and whatnot but yeah i think it's sort
0: of slowly gets here. Yeah, what do you think, Darren? Do you see it as like a revolution or just kind of a logical next step?
1: It almost feels like a logical next step. And I mean, I'm not a jazz historian, and you guys obviously probably have more experience than, than I do in, in this genre, but you know, the idea of like soloing in jazz music seems like it's kind of something that's just always sort of been there, you know? Like you were mentioning, Gabe, like you might start within these parameters, but then you start exploring and generally it's like one instrument at a time. Okay. Like right now the saxophone's going to have its, you know, solo piece while everyone else is kind of like keeping the, r- the rest of the song together. Maybe we'll have a drum solo, maybe, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. so the progression there is then like, all right, well let's, let's have the saxophone solo and maybe the bass and the piano can kind of do their own thing at the same time. And now <laughs> before you know it, everybody's like kind of soloing around like the same time and, and I, I I feel like it's revolutionary, but at the same time, when you when you listen to it over and over again, I mean, you know what you're listening to. You know that it is jazz music. It's recognizable. There are there are pieces here that you've kind of heard before. It's just the way it's now put together um, is so is a little bit different, but it doesn't feel as if okay now I've, I've i'm i'm not i'm no longer listening to jazz i'm listening to something totally different you know you know what i mean
2: i think that's a great point you know it, it doesn't seem like completely alien you know it, it's not like you're listening to a whole nother thing you've never heard before it's just a like different form of something you have heard you know like like you said you you instantly like recognize this as jazz it's got the same sort of palette that uh that jazz has kind of always had it's just presented in a in a different way
1: Right. Like my kids can recognize it. They're like jazz music. Okay. But then they're like, well, what, What what's going (laughs) on? Because it just sounds like they're just (laughs) just like playing at random. And so they're the part they're missing is those kind of parameters that they're expecting. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. You know, on one hand, it's interesting because it feels like jazz as a genre is defined by sort of restlessness and exploration. So if you just follow it along, there's always these like next steps, you know, and it gets to the Mm -hmm. point like in the 50s where this like hard bop is you know it's starting to like the the notes are like fluttering so fast and they are like cutting through the chords in the strangest ways you know i think like early coltrane is is just like my this is my favorite thing about it is that he just like rips off these notes and they just kind of like you know they they just go in the weirdest ways like he's still in the chord parameter but you know it's unexpected still and then it just it, it feels like eventually you you know, when you get to free jazz, it's kind of like just, you just remove like two more things, which are, you know, key and sort of tempo and stuff like that. Um, at the same time, free jazz kind of casts itself as like revolutionary, you know, we'll talk about like Ornette Coleman's shape of jazz to come, you know, it's like, this is the new thing, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, 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 it very much presents itself in that way. And so there is some historical context that I think is really fascinating as well, which almost does make it feel like an explosion. Um, You know, free jazz is closely tied with like the civil rights movement of this period, um, this late 50s, early 60s. And it kind of like captures the turbulence of that time, you know, where like tensions just get cranked up to 11. Um, It's also kind of connected to and this is part of like this civil rights movement is this like primitivism or this like returning to roots like, um, you know, there's a lot of uh, literature black literature from the 60s thats sort of you know authors like changing their names back to traditional african names or wearing traditional african clothing and stuff like that and so the free jazz world is often tied with this kind of like you know what i mean like get back at this like primitive like pre-western music rules yeah kind of a thing where it's maybe closer to like just hollering freely, you know, like in a drum circle and, you know, it gets that kind of vibe going on. And, and on the same path, it gets like a very spiritual vibe sometimes, which we'll talk more about simultaneously though, you get this, like, you know, influx of what was going on in contemporary classical music at the time, you know, like the fluxus movement or like John Cage and stuff like that. Um, It just feels like, you know, and, and I think about like the nuclear age, like how, scary and freaky that was and how it doesn't seem like the world makes sense anymore once you know that it can like end in a second and so you know what i mean does it feel like like this you know cocktail just explodes all of a sudden at the same time as well
2: yeah i mean i mean this period of time just in general in america is like you know such a a a shift in like culture technology you know it's like really like the dawn of a new age you know sort sort of thing and um yeah you know free jazz i i think like really um you know showcases that i mean i mean like you said you know ornette coleman i think is like uh definitely like aware of of what he's doing you know like you said shape of jazz to come is before the, i mean even his his first record's called something else uh you know right, and to, right. tomorrow is the question is the next you know he's always like sort of like uh, up a, up into free jazz he's he's pushing f- forward he, he's, he's telling you you know this is this is
0: the next step, this is the next wave, Um, you know, whatever. Yeah, do you find all that that stuff interesting? Do you find that influences how you listen to it, Darren? Like, thinking about it, the historical moment and how kind of radical it was?
1: Yeah, for sure, because kind of like what you were just mentioning, I mean, you point to any part of culture (laughs) during that time, there was some level of a revolution or Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. a, you know, a uh, distinct, like, Shift from the past happening in all different genres of music, art. I mean, film. I mean, everything was kind of like exploding in one way or another. So it's, you know, for when I listen to this record, I I feel like it, it it just belongs in that era. You know what I mean? Like I, it, it's it, it's right alongside anything that we've talked about from past episodes regarding the '60s and, and music at the time. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't it seems to be response this is jazz's response or you know jazz's take on the kind of like cultural explosion that's kind of happening um from you know the late 50s into the the 60s you know
0: yeah and i i do think though that it's it is very distinct from like the classical um you know the contemporary music of that period um because it is like about improvisation it's it's like a band you know in a room like f- listening to each other and feeding off each other and everything it's not it's you know and yet let me let me sort of walk through uh a brief like disclaimer history before we get into ornette coleman um you know you can't say that like ornette coleman started free jazz necessarily um there are y- you know basically artists um people mention like uh lenny tristano i'm not sure if i'm pronouncing it right a lot but these are kind of like jazz musicians working in jazz who I think are inspired by the kind of like atonal you know type um things going on in classical music in the first part of the 20th century you know what I mean mm-hmm. um you even get people like uh Cecil Taylor as early as like 1955 I think his first album comes out um which is not like free jazz but the things he's playing on piano are really starting to like push against the mm-hmm. walls of um you know what is allowed quote-unquote um but it does feel like we reach a new step with ornette coleman um we mentioned shape of jazz to come which i think you know he's signed to like atlantic and i think it's just like a much bigger audience um i know that they had this like really famous residency at the five spot in new york and like people you know i love like the story of um You know, everybody just had to come and hear it. And like some people fucking hated it. Like Miles Davis fucking hated it. You know, (laughs) and like um other people couldn't like believe what they were hearing. There's like a famous story of um uh Charlie Hayden, the bass player, it was just playing and he just like has his eyes closed and he opens them and Leonard Bernstein is just leaning his ear up against his bass to hear exactly what he's doing, you know, which is like (laughs) you just imagine like the cultural moment here. But That kind of leads us to, um, you know, Coltrane, not the next album, but the album after that, he releases Free Jazz, a collective improvisation, which was the first, like, full-length improvised album, Um, and I think it really does kind of kick things off. You can tell by the name, which he basically coins, and, you know, it it takes on a life of its own. Um, I want to mention the personnel on this album, because it's always important when you listen to jazz. Um, You basically have two quartets one in each channel, left and right. Um, on the left, Ornette Coleman on alt- alto sax, Don Cherry on pocket trumpet, Scott LaFaro on bass, Billy Higgins on drums. On the right, Eric Dolphy on bass clarinet, Freddie Hubbard on trumpet, Charlie Hayden on bass, and Ed Blackwell on drums. It's basically like the the classic Shape of Jazz to Come quartet, plus a few other trailblazers, you know, an additional quartet. Um, beyond that basic information how would you guys describe the sound the structure of free jazz a collective improvisation darren why don't you you take it
2: since you're the uh uh you know newbie if if you will (laughs) i'm interested (laughs) (laughs) Um, also i don't want to do it
1: (laughs) yeah. yeah how do you how do i start the this 37 minute um take so um you know, the first, it's, I had, I have to mention this because it kind of was on my mind um, when I first started listening to this. Like, I, I really got this sort of vibe of like, um, you know, like in movies, and I, I think of like maybe like Fantasia, where like, there's like this sort of vortex scene where a character's like being flown through something and like there's sounds of music maybe just like passing by like <laughs> yeah, like left yeah, left <laughs> and right as they're sort of soaring through whatever it is. That was like sort of my initial like whoa, especially the way this um, starts, where everyone's just kind of like it kind of explodes into um, everyone's playing at once and everything, and it's a little overwhelming, but, you know, obviously with repeated listens and kind of like, you know, paying closer attention to certain different passages and sections, um, you know, you can sort of like start to pick things apart a bit. So, you know, and and I actually wasn't really, I hadn't really read into it just yet as my first couple of listens so I didn't really understand that there were like two quartets actually happening um uh-huh. separately um after understanding that you know that sort of changed again how I was listening to it and kind of picking up, okay, so there's a solo somebody soloing here while everyone else is kind of playing. There's times where everyone kind of comes together, there's even a moment where it's like da 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 and I'm like, oh yeah, here I, I got it, this is it, and then it falls apart again and we're, we're back <laughs> right, into, like, right. improvisation. So I don't know if I'm even, like, helping at all with, like, describing the sound, but <laughs> there's just so much kind of going on. Help me out here, Gabe.
0: I mean, I guess the, the the first thing to say is that there is a definite structure to this piece, which is that there are these, you mentioned them, these, like, fanfares uh, that are composed, like, very brief little sections. They almost have, like, you know, you were kind of singing it just a second ago, but it almost sounds like, you know, news at nine like (laughs) you know what i mean yeah yeah and they're pretty strange and this is the kind of like strange composition style that you would hear on ornette coleman's earlier albums but this is like i think really the first full-blown free jazz album so those are like the briefest little snippets that just kind of like structure us and after every like ensemble Fanfare, which is sometimes like quite chaotic for a second, but then kind of like comes into these like elongated passages um we get a solo right, and everybody takes a solo um one by one, and yet there is a an awful lot of chatter <laughs> like going on um a lot of times in the middle of somebody's solo, like everybody just starts coming in like all the horns just start coming in and everything um mm-hmm. What would you add to that kind of like Large view description, Dan.
2: Yeah, I mean, to think about it, like sort of abstractly, like what what it sounds like to me, uh, it, it feels like sort of like you're you're at a a party or like a, a banquet or something, and like oftentimes like everyone's just chattering amongst themselves, and you and you're sort of like in the middle of it, uh, and then sometimes you know somebody. Is the main one, so you know maybe somebody's doing a speech on stage, or 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 they're just they've sort of taken the floor. Uh, but you know you're getting like a little a little whisper here. You know people talking back and forth. There's one section uh, like right before the uh, the the one of the bass solos where where like two of the horns are sort of like the chit chatting back. You know some somebody plays a yeah. and you know they respond. You know it's yeah, it sort of like yeah. literally sounds like chatter uh, to me. Like this yeah. whole record, it just sort of feels like being in. In the middle of a party, and it, it's that sort of like a feeling when you're in like a big room, you know, like a, like like a concert before before like anyone actually starts playing, you know, like you can hear that like everyone is talking, but you can't really like. Hear any conversations, you know, you may, you might get a word here and there, you know, a sentence here and there or something, but you like, right, you don't have a sense of what everyone in the room is saying, and that's sort of like what this feels like to me, you know, like you, y- you sometimes get a little, a little piece like, like what Darren was was humming, you know, like, oh, yeah, you know, something you can grasp onto, and that, and that's the sentence y- y- you get, but, but then it,
0: it immediately disappears, you know, um, yeah, I don't know, there, that's yeah, there sort are of definitely the way I like, feel like points, it. I think that's a good analogy, um, and this album in particular feels extremely conversational where they are talking back and forth. Sometimes it's like, it's as if somebody says something with their horn or whatever. And then somebody like just has to jump Mm -hmm. in and add, you know, a point, um, which sometimes like inspires a bunch of other people to come in all at once on top of each other. Sometimes not. There are points like there's a part I really love in the middle of Don Cherry's solo where, you know, it's like the two, I think it's, uh, Dolphy and Hubbard, um, that's another kind of nice part about this album is that there are fewer horns. So you actually like can remember who is, yeah. there. there's only like two on each side, you know? Yeah. Um, so Dolphy and Hubbard are like, they start playing these like stretched out like harmonies and it's almost like, you know, it's almost like two people, like, you know, one's like, da the other's like, da and then they're both like, like together. And it just is its own conversation completely removed almost from like mm-hmm. what Don Cherry is doing on the other channel um i also think it's important to mention that well first off darren what, what do you think about that analogy is that do you think that's helpful like the idea of a conversation being in the middle of a party or something like that
1: yeah certainly it, it, it sounds as if you know there's a call from one side and then somebody's responding like i i totally get that i totally love the idea of like yes like you're in a in a party, I was kind of thinking even more so like with actual music being played at these, these parties where you can kind of sometimes hear things, sometimes you don't, you know what I mean? Like it's kind of in and out. Um, that's definitely, I, I like that. Like that's I hadn't really thought of it that way, but yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense.
0: Yeah. And at the same time, it does have, you know, I, I think that people will be surprised if they haven't listened to this um, to find that it makes a lot of sense, actually. You basically have, um, you've got the bass on the right side, which I believe is Charlie Hayden. And he's playing like a pretty consistent rhythm the entire time. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like doom, 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 doom. It's like walking, um, even though it goes, you know, in sort of a chromatic way, like all over the place. Um, and on the left hand, you have Scott LaFaro's bass, which is more like a lot of high notes, like much yeah. much quicker, um, right. like almost like double time. Right. And yet at the same time, the drums on the right, which are Ed Blackwell um they're also kind of laying a pretty consistent pulse maybe it's not entirely like in sync tempo wise with the bass but it's a pretty straight driving kind of thing and then you'll notice on the left billy higgins drums he's kind of like on the same tempo but in like double time a lot of the time and they're they're both like kind of throwing in occasional toms and snares and stuff um but do you guys kind of agree with me that there's like a pretty consistent drive to this definitely i i think the
2: the the one thing that like sort of makes it feel like all the rules are not actually being broken is the drums um and, and yeah. it's just because like you know they they are sort of keeping like it, it doesn't sound like if you let a toddler sit at a drum set and they're just going you know fucking mental it's right, like right. It, it, it's clearly two people who can play the drums and can play them very well and they're they're playing you know quote-unquote correctly the, you know there, there's the occasional like you said tom hit snare hit you know roll or you know symbol or something that that sort of feels like maybe out of place or something but like it's not really you know like
0: it. it's still it's still and i hate to use like the word but correct you know yeah i mean as a mostly first time-ish listener darren do you find it like just pure cacophony or do you find it like pretty actually, you know, structured in that way?
1: So at first I kind of did at, at first. I really, I felt like this really was like a mess and that there wasn't any, any sense of structure whatsoever. But you know, upon further listening, I kind of felt like, Oh my, this is like actually, maybe this is, makes more sense than even Ascension does, which, I mean, we'll get into like mm. the, the differences there, but um You know, and as far as the drums go, I mean, you would think like having two drummers playing at the same time that at times you would think they would kind of be playing on over top of each other or like the beat would suddenly, you know, just become crippled because somebody's doing too much or too fast or whatever. But yeah, I'm kind of like shocked at how much this almost sounds like it's like a single drummer kind of keeping things together at in, in a lot of ways you know what I mean like somebody may maybe just kind of focusing on like hi hats and like cymbals while the other one's sort of
0: like yeah that's a good point I, snare. they they stay out of each other's way yeah. and i find the same the same happens with the bass like two basses could be kind of crazy mm-hmm. but because like lafaro mostly stays very high um and you get more of like the traditional like booming walking sound um from the other side it's like you know, you know what i mean it doesn't it, it actually works together in a way that's not cluttered you know
2: yeah exactly i mean with with the drums i i I think if if you just listen to this and you didn't know anything about there's two quartets you know the channels and everything i think you could you would probably guess there's just one drummer you know uh it it like really yeah feels like that most of the time
0: yeah um so I think, you know, I want to sort of circle back to the horns um, a little bit, but before we, you know, while we're still on the bigger picture, you know, what do you think that Ornette Coleman is after with this piece? Like, are there any discernible themes to this thing? Um, Because it's pretty abstract music, but I do think of it like, I often think about the cover art, right? Which uh, includes like a Jackson Pollock painting, right? And so it almost feels like, um, like, that's almost like the key to unlocking what he's after here, which is like something like a, uh, a Pollock painting, like this just explosion of like, you know, color and shape and everything. Um, and in that respect, we actually talked about this a little bit when we did our episode on like Grateful Dead versus Velvet Underground. Um, this feels like a little bit, maybe not like nihilist, but a little bit more about like, you know, something closer to like the... Chaos in the universe or the meaninglessness in the universe or something, you know, that a lot of artists were responding to at that time, especially like I mentioned in the nuclear age, just like. Like, you know, we'll talk about Coltrane and how he's a little bit more on the spiritual side or like the transcendence side, but do you guys, am I just adding this because of the cover or do you like actually listen to music and think about that type of worldview at all i mean maybe it's because it's on the cover but i but i had
2: almost the same thing written in my notes here like this this is Uh, sort of the audio version of abstract expressionism you know like it, it sort of sounds like what a pollock painting looks like and yeah i think i think that's um i mean he wouldn't have put it on the cover you know right I, I feel you know it's not like he's just like oh yeah i like that paint and throw it on there you know i i feel like it's <laughs> sure. definitely a a measured choice um you know to to use something like that it's, especially like it, it's not an you know it's it's a paint it wasn't painted for the record you know it, he it's a pre-existing uh piece so i i think there's definitely got to be some sort of uh choice in that and i i think it sort of is the the key to this record
0: Yeah, I mean, like, Darren, you were kind of mentioning this, but, you know, I think a lot about, like, when I'm listening this, I think about the way that, like, atoms and stuff just, you know, bounce around and crash into each other all the time, you know, like that picture of the universe, um, you know, post-Big Bang universe, Um, do you think about that at all while you're listening to this?
1: Yeah, for sure, and, like, going back to the Jackson Pollock thing, I mean, it just wouldn't surprise me if it was as simple as, like you know coleman kind of holding this up and saying let's try to create this in the form of music like let's try to recreate something like this um I, i never never and we talk about this with other genres of music where we talk about how things might sound amateurish or like improvised to the point where like okay this doesn't seem like it was really rehearsed or thought about it was just kind of like it just kind of happened or versus times where we're like oh no this seems very calculated deliberate even though Uh
0: it sounds
1: improvised here i'm like i i i I just get this sense that like i'm listening to eight geniuses talk to one another through their (laughs) instruments you know what i mean like like having a conversation about the universe or some large Mm -hmm. bigger picture type of subject through through music and because there's not a moment where i'm like i i'm not like ew this sounds awful this is hurting my ears it's never that it's like these guys these who are masters of every one of their instruments kind of like expressing themselves and i'm just there to try to trying to sort of understand what these people are talking about you know what i mean it's like imagine like having philosophers on a stage just kind of like (laughs) talking to each to each other and like you're you're just kind of trying to follow along and understand. Yeah, it's almost they're, like they're
2: so you know so so much ab- above you, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. No, I think that. <laughs> yeah, I think that's like a strange thing about like free jazz and stuff because because like you said, like a lot of like experimental music and like you know quote unquote weird things like the shags. Um, sort of like the the coolness of it is the like. Um, untaught, you know, outsider sort of thing. And like free jazz is really sort of the opposite of that. It it, it it's the it's it's the Picasso thing. Like it, it's people who are great musicians and they're they know all the rules and so that they're allowed to break them. You know, it, it it's it's like kind of the like yeah. polar it, opposite of outsider things that somehow, you know, gets a similar result.
0: Yeah, you, you do really get that feeling. And it's funny because when we did our episode on trout mask replica we talked about how you you it feels like do they know how to play their instruments or not and then you learn that they did and that it was all a decision and that's pretty impressive but here i never feel like i never no, am asking never myself like do these guys know how to play <laughs> yeah. um on that note you know let's talk about some highlights you know specifically the solos right one thing that i think you know we'll get to this but um one thing it's Very obviously different between this and Ascension is that the solos are very long, like always like five, six Mm -hmm. minutes, sometimes, you know, um, Coleman's is like almost 10 minutes long. And, you know, I mentioned also that there are interjections quite often, but are there any like solos or moments that stood out to you particularly? I mean, I really love like one of the one of the like weird things that you can grasp
2: onto, and I'm I'm pretty sure it's Coleman doing it, but I, I could be wrong. It's like he keeps playing this like themes like na 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 na, like it it keeps like coming back, and it just like yeah, yeah, it gets yeah. stuck in your mind, and you're like, it, you know, it's like catchy, and it's like this, fucking what should be catchy about this, right? You know, it, it's like such a strange like feeling to get something from this like kind of stuck in my head, um, and it makes me like really enjoy that about about this
1: yeah i think for me you know i'm i'm very i love when there's like a solo or a, such a focus on every single instrument you know the bass clarinet i i don't think i ever really appreciated um and mm. kind of listening to this over and over again um i'm a huge fan of like very late in the piece where you have just a bass
0: soloing yeah and, yeah yeah, yeah.
1: Then there's a drum solo. Well, you get the, I mean.
0: Yeah. You, I mean, it's crazy because you get the two, you get two bass solos like on paper, but neither bass stops playing ever. Right. <laughs> you know, right. so they're both like pretty much duets, even though you kind of feel that one is taking the lead. And there are some like crazy passages there, especially like they both start like strumming like. Um, at, at, at points like in a, it almost like it takes on a like Godspeed you black emperor vibe where like both are strumming and like sort of climbing up and down the fretboard. Um, there are parts where they start like hitting that kind of like, they must be hitting like the, uh, above the, I don't know what it's called. The top of the, you know, where the strings tie on. Cause it's like, grink mm-hmm. And they're like doing it back and forth. And so there's just like, you just kind of find yourself being like, God fucking damn it. Like how many sounds can a bass make? Um, and I do love the, you know, again, we get two drum solos as well. My, I particularly love the um, Higgins solo, which is, like, literally a cymbal solo. Yeah, it's the last yeah, yeah. solo here. <laughs> and, like, you know, the other drummer is kind of, like, he's kind of given us, like, a pretty steady beat um, on, like, the, you know, sort of hi-hat and snare. And meanwhile, the other guy is, like, soloing on the cymbals. And it's, like, almost reaches, like, drone ambient vibes, which is, like, <laughs> it's, like, crazy shit. But... Um yeah, so how did it go listening to this, attempting to get into this um over these past 2 weeks. So I struggled. Um <laughs> you know, <laughs> I
1: being able to set aside a solid 37 minutes uninterrupted is it can be difficult obviously and you know, with the most, you know, your average album is like 37 or 40 minutes or whatever, but it's like 10, 12, 10 tracks, 11 tracks. Like you kind of know where you're at. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. it, it can be difficult if you get interrupted and then trying to come back. And then, you know, I kind of found myself just like always like having it on and like almost challenging myself to to make sure I knew, you know, when I was where I was at or trying to figure out where I was at um and getting towards the end and kind of understanding like okay now i'm at, I'm towards the end of the piece because the you know, like on spotify it has like the first take um after that so if you're not careful you just kind of end up in it again uh, without realizing mm-hmm. um yeah. but i got the hang of it like I, I understood like when when you get to the section um where the bass solos are happening and you have the drum solos like i knew where i was at and mm-hmm. that just kind of gave it so much more structure to me like it it it, it kind of helped me understand it and then there are those passages again like those fanfares like you mentioned gabe that happen that almost like help bring you back and like remind you like where we're at and you know where this is going and suddenly giving all this free jazz like some sort of structure which was really fascinating yeah. and i just found myself enjoying it more and more and like not at all feeling you know feeling as if i was just not getting anywhere with it um i even was like playing it with my kids in the car and stuff and you know, they didn't really, they didn't really understand it. I mean, my, my youngest son was like, yeah, this is cool. But he, you know, what does he know about jazz? Blabs. <laughs> jazz <was> like, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, overall it, it got better with, with, with time. And I, I never really felt discouraged or felt like I was just like, this is, I'm never getting this. Um, and like I mentioned before, you know, I'm a fan of jazz music. So I think people who enjoy jazz music, I don't think that free jazz, or at least what we've heard so far, I don't think it's impenetrable. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, there is actually some, you know, that's the thing It's like, sometimes you listen to something experimental and you're kind of wondering like, is there something to figure out or is this like just random or what is this? And I, I you know, I genuinely, I think we talked about like, um, something like, uh, Radiohead's Kid A, right? Like it's, it's experimental in a sense, but it's the kind of thing where you first hear it and you're kind of like, hmm, but it, it repays you if you're willing to do the work. And I think this album in particular, you do start to f- sense a structure and like a movement. You know, I think that we didn't really talk about this, but it, it interestingly like kind of mellows out as it goes along. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, where you've got these like, you know, it, it's a little bit more like cacophonous early on and then to kind of make room for the bass solos and everything. You got to kind of quiet down and stuff. And then the drum solos kind of take it on their own, of course. Um, and it just adds, you know, it's peppered with those like fanfares, but it's, it has like a nice movement. You know what I mean, Dan? How it like actually is going somewhere.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's almost sort of like backwards from, from a normal song, you know, it, like it's kind of right. Right. And the, and the next album does this more, I think, but it sort of like starts with the crescendo and like, builds whatever the opposite of a crescendo
0: is you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah d um okay so let me do a quick kind of like run through again of what went on in between ornette coleman's album and our next album john coltrane's ascension um you know i think that it's important to remember that like looking back we think of Ornette Coleman as, like, this revolutionary, changed everything, and I think that is, like, ultimately true, but I do believe that he was, like, a pretty underground artist, and that Free Jazz was a pretty underground phenomenon, mm-hmm. um, f- you know, up to this point, and you get a couple classics, I didn't, you know, I don't know exactly, but I, I have a sense that they were pretty, like, avant-garde, pretty out-there um, pieces, Dolphy actually released an album called Out There, but um, it's... You know, you get a couple of, you know, sort of free jazz or free jazz adjacent masterpieces in these couple of years um, after Coleman kind of kicked the doors open. So you get stuff like Albert Eiler's Spiritual Unity mm-hmm. and Albert Eyler is like another absolute juggernaut of free jazz. You get Dolphy's, you know, I mentioned Out There, but Out to Lunch is like probably his most famous, I think, from 1964. Um, Cecil Taylor, by this point, has gone like full blown free jazz, just smashing his piano to fucking bits. Um and then things change when we get to John Col- Coltrane's ascension in 1966, because I think Coltrane was an absolute juggernaut, like superstar of jazz. And all of a sudden he jumps on board. Like, doesn't that feel like kind of that must have really, you know, brought it to the masses? You know what I mean?
2: Oh, I mean, for sure. I I, I was watching some like YouTube videos of like, you know, this sort of era uh, Coltrane like live and it, it, he's playing at like universities you know and he's playing big rooms and you know you can tell the the people in the audience are sort of like you know maybe you know maybe they liked Blue Train or something you know but they're getting they're getting yeah, uh, right. e- even in, in some my of the favorite ones, uh, things yeah that's what I was gonna say like I, I really love one of his uh, live records live at the village Vanguard again the one like with Pharaoh Sanders yeah. and he plays like uh, my favorite things like during that and just like fucking destroys it you know like it, it, it starts and you you know oh it's my favorite thing and i feel like if you were in that audience and you were just sort of a, a a casual fan or something you'd be like oh you know stoked finally and then just like him and pharaoh you know murder the song and just just the, the destruction that that would would go on in that room it's it, it's nuts
0: yeah i mean can you think darren of like <laughs> i have trouble thinking of like a a, a, a analogous situation You know today or something I mean like I guess in some ways Like Kanye doing Yeezus was pretty fucking Crazy you know what I mean like to hear like A yeah but I don't even think that that's Like going so abrasive I
2: don't think That's even as big of a jump though You know like
0: yeah Yeah but you know what I mean Darren can you think of anything
2: Not Really like, what, um, what this must
0: have Been like I just can't even fathom
1: and, and and so <laughs> So this is like, so Coltrane because you mentioned like Coleman was kind of like underground. You're saying, but like Coltrane would have would have been like a much bigger name.
2: Yeah, I mean, yes. if you knew Coleman, you were in the know. Whereas like Coltrane, yeah. right? It, Everybody you know. knew Coltrane.
1: Mm. So is this like a is this like Coltrane's like sellout moment or something where he's like? <laughs> 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 I think it's the
0: opposite of of that. Yeah, the very opposite. I guess <laughs> so. Like yeah, I, I
1: guess it would be him admitting yeah. that the underground is cool, right?
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I just can't like even imagine what it would be like to hear somebody of John Coltrane's stature taking this turn and it doesn't come out of nowhere. You know, like I keep trying to mention, um, you know, you mentioned Live at the Village Vanguard, but actually there's like a earlier uh, Live at the Village Vanguard um, that he did. And there's a complete set, like the complete Village Vanguard 1961, I think, where it's him and Dolphy and his like Love Supreme band, I think mostly. Um And it's basically like a residency. It's just like all five nights that they did this. And each night, they're just like chasing something. He actually has like the centerpiece of each set is the song Chasing the Train. Mm -hmm. And it's just him like just ripping, you know, at the walls of, of, you know, music. And it's like he finally arrives at Ascension with like the full-blown free jazz thing. Got to read the personnel again. You've got John Coltrane, of course, on tenor sax. Freddie Hubbard on trumpet, he was also um, on Coleman's album, Dewey Johnson on trumpet, Marion Brown on alto sax, John Chikai. I hope I'm saying that right, on alto sax, Pharaoh Sanders on tenor sax, Archie Shepp on tenor sax, McCoy Tyner on piano, Art Davis on bass, Jimmy Garrison on bass, and Elvin Jones on drums. It's basically like the classic Love Supreme Quartet that everybody knows, plus uh, a bunch of future free jazz stars like almost everybody here blew up except for Dewey Johnson who um was plagued with mental health issues and never recorded another album and like you know went to a mental hospital eventually uh, which is quite haunting um but you know in describing the sound and structure of this album I think it's important to note how different this is you know you do have two bassists but for the most part you've got kind of like a quartet and then like A fucking sax fest on top of it you know what i mean um and the other crazy thing is piano we didn't mention this but coleman famously like did away with piano because he thought it you know it adds like too much too many rules you know that it sets the chords the key that you have to play in and without it you're free to explore explore like microtonally which he was pretty famous for with these like bendy microtones and stuff um there is piano here which is pretty interesting i think um but beyond that, how would you guys describe big picture sound and structure of this album?
2: Well, I think first uh, you didn't mention that we're we're talking about edition two of of this uh, record. Yes, because uh, sure there there are that. two uh, edition one was originally released, and I don't really know the reason why, but it was switched with edition two uh, a couple months later, and Coltrane preferred edition two that's what why it's, just, it's pulled, just two takes he pulled a
1: kanye basically right yeah basically <laughs> yeah i'm, I'm yes. a
0: fix um, ascension yeah <laughs> but it, it, it's just like the the two takes of this piece recorded the same day it's just he decided to change the take um to the first take which is confusingly known as edition two but yeah we <laughs> yeah, should exactly mention that but okay how, how would you describe this whole thing well let's let darren do it again
1: yeah <laughs> so, so this one i felt like i i got right into kind of right away and you know I, it's gonna sound very like simple and, and dumb but like the the music starts off very differently than than coleman right coleman kind of explodes whereas like coltrane has the very familiar like oh okay. yeah the, a motif right from i'm like
0: a love supreme yes
1: yes and mm-hmm. love supreme one of my favorite albums like that's one of the few like jazz records I have on vinyl, you know what I mean like i'm 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 yeah. already there, I'm like all right right in, and it kind of builds slowly into this free jazz you know kind of like cacophony almost but i I feel like i'm s I'm eased into it in such a way that like I never truly feel entirely lost, and you know we mentioned the piano and I'm gonna mention it here in terms of the sound like you can clearly hear the piano and it's it's yeah. there and it's a familiar sound i i think it is almost like a comfort like if you're feeling lost like you can you can pick it out of of the mess all these definitely you know this big band of brass that's happening underneath it all you can hear like the piano chords and you're like okay okay i kind of understand where i'm at um you know the drums can the drums sound a lot wilder i feel like at times
0: on on yes. here um, and I think I, maybe I wrote down like, "Is this John fucking Bonham?" Playing drums? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, they're like they're smashing boom, boom, those. Boom, I yes. know they sound like, so good. crazy. I, know, I love it. So like a a world apart from <laughs> the drumming on on Coleman's free jazz. You know, like this is just wild. Yeah,
1: and I don't know if it's if it's just the lineup here that really shifts things, but like I I feel like it's a it's it's hard to compare the two because I feel like there's so much different emotions or feelings that are kind of like coming out um on this record
2: yeah what would you add dan uh yeah i mean with 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 the feelings like you said i mean there's definitely at at this period you know from a love supreme basically on like uh coltrane's like developed this spiritual jazz thing and and i feel like you can you can feel that you know there there's there's a there's a like I don't know, some sort of, I'm not a spiritual person, but there's some sort of like, you know, I, even, even though I'm not, I can like sort of feel what, what, what he's getting at. But I, I think, like Darren said, the, the piano being there, like really fucking helps, you know, it, it is just like a real anchor point. Anytime you're feeling, you're feeling lost, you're feeling like this is just too out there, you can, you can focus on that and it it sort of brings you back in, which, which I think is great for, you know, especially like Coltrane, like we talked about, like being like, such a big, popular figure in the jazz world, you know, b- uh, essentially bringing this like crazy avant-garde music to, you know, the the, the normal people, you know, quote unquote. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I I think doing something like that like really helps his his case. Um, and and then these yeah. like uh, uh, these these ensemble like little things in between the solos, I I feel like they um, they're sort of more again normal uh than than the the little fanfares that happen in free jazz um and like even during the solos on free jazz you know it, it's sort of like everybody's always talking just sometimes like somebody's talking the loudest i feel like here like the solos are are it, it's not that fear, everyone fear stops solos. you know but but yeah they're 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 much more like your normal kind of jazz solo where where somebody like really takes center stage, the rest of the band, you know, kind of keeps the rhythm, you know, whatever, you know, I feel like that happens much more defined on, on this record.
0: Yeah. I, I think so too. And actually I was surprised though to hear you say that it, it's like maybe a little more accessible because I found it like very um like more inaccessible, honestly, because it does kind of ease you in with these like sensuous, you know, spiritual sounding passages from a love supreme but then it gets like quite cacophonous and you know it's got this you know i i think of like just in contrast to this i think that ornette coleman's album is like quite controlled you know even though people do chatter over each other and stuff we talk about how there's like a very consistent pulse the whole time on this one it's like the the bass is not playing any kind of consistent pulse pulse or neither bass is sure. um it's just kind of doing its own thing. The drums are like just madness almost the entire time. Um, the, you know, fan, the they're not fanfares, but they are like just, it almost sounds like a, a big band kind of feeling. And every horn is just kind of like exploding, it sounds like. And so what I should mention is that it's structured essentially the same way as Coleman's album where you have like ensemble, solo, ensemble, solo, on and on and on. Um, But what's interesting is that the ensemble passages are much longer here. Um, The solos are usually like two to three minutes compared to like up to 10 minutes on Coleman's album. And the ensembles are often quite similar in length, like two to three minutes usually. Um, Mm -hmm. Don't you guys find like the ensemble passages quite cacophonous? Like, there's almost I mean, nothing to anchor onto. I, I feel like they they really, really feel like
2: crescendos. You know, I, like I said about free jazz earlier, it's sort of like this this backwards, uh, you know, crescendo coming inwards, you know, imploding. I, I feel like this one's just always sort of those ensembles are crescendoing, but also uh, maybe you're right. I mean, one one thing I, I sort of struggled with, like like this, this album for a for a long time i think was my favorite coltrane record so i've heard it like a lot and i think like a little bit of the weirdness or strangeness whatever Mm -hmm. is like gotten where it's it's difficult to to remember that 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 exists here
0: for me um so you might be right oh that's interesting um what do you think darren did you find it like much like more abrasive and cacophonous than coleman's album did you find it you know, you mentioned having the piano as an anchor. Did you find it like an uh, easier listening experience or a harder one?
1: At first, I definitely felt like it was an easier listening experience again. And, I, you know, I, I talk about the ease of getting into it versus the way Coleman sort of explodes and, and kind of, you know, put me in a place where it, was, it felt like I was struggling to to grasp it. Right. But as I indicated with upon further listening, I, I did start to grasp it and piece it together and understand it to this one, as the continued listenings go and then kind of going back and forth between the two records, um, yeah, it was definitely very noticeable the, uh, the the glaring differences largely surrounding the ensemble parts where you just have <laughs> horns blaring at times, yeah, um, basically
0: as loud it's- as they can. And it sometimes sounds like you know, like the craziest passages of Revolution 9 or something, yeah. And whipping like by your head when you know? get
1: the drums sort of like smashing, like they do, it just feels as if like suddenly the drummer doesn't really know what anybody else is doing. They're you know, mm. they're just kind of like matching that, they're trying to you know, match that abrasive, yeah, blaring the horn sound, yeah. you know what I mean. Um but I think where things shine is where you get into the solos, you know, particularly like obviously Coltrane solo. I think, you know, Pharaoh Sanders solo, the, the way they are sort of like pushing the sound of their instruments in such a interesting way. Um, <clears throat> I feel like I kind of always like came back to, and it just felt, you know, overall familiar. And I talk about the piano being just a almost like a consistent, like layer that I, kept latching onto and even when those ensemble pieces would kind of swell up I think that yes it gets very cacophonous but it happens in such like a slow like it kind of like builds and builds and it builds does, like a crescendo yeah. and then it kind of lets you down and you ease into, and like, yeah it very solo.
0: gracefully like yeah. eases yeah. into the solo it's actually extremely mm-hmm. impressive um I just like to imagine like the kind of looks they're giving each other, or whatever, to like all get on the know, same page. It's, it's like I'd love to see amazing. like a
2: video of it being you know reported. I know, you I know, know? I, I was I was thinking a lot about that. Um, one thing with this record, I feel like there's. Especially in these ensemble pieces, there's like always this like sort of tension, like building. It it, it almost yeah yeah always feels like the record's ending. You know, like it, it especially does. like yeah, when yeah. you when you you know when you've been listening for twenty twenty five minutes or something, you're like okay, you know, the, this is this is it. This is the this is the, the end right <laughs> here. And then it's like oh no, yeah. there's like six more solos gonna gonna happen. You know, and yeah. I don't know that, I, that that's like a great feeling I like. You know, in, in this you're just. I don't know it, it, it's almost like it is it, it's like a record of like anxiety and, and and tension and and stuff you know it it's like yeah. a feeling that that's not all you know a, as explored in music as many other feelings I think
0: Yeah I mean I think like you guys actually mentioned a bunch of stuff that I think is like really key here which is that you know this is a lot less conversational than Coleman's album mm-hmm. um it doesn't really feel like they're talking to each other at all um you mentioned this dan but it feels like they basically completely get out of each other's way for the solos and what's interesting about this is that the solos are so distinct from each other like they are extremely unique personalities i think you can tell that even on first listen mm-hmm. um whereas on coleman's album like it feels more like they're all on the same page they're like of oh, a piece you know what i mean even though like obviously dolphy is different than coleman it's like almost like they discuss like some sort of mood or like style that they were after. Here, it's like, all right, we all like you know just blow the shit up with these ensemble pieces. Then it's your turn. And in talking about like what is what is uh, Coltrane after here, you know, you talked about that spirituality. And when I listen to this album, I think about like, you know, like chasing something, and that it's like basically everybody's solo is their chance to, like, take it as far as they can. Mm-hmm. And then we get, like, this cacophony, this reset, and then it's like, all right, now it's your turn. Like, chase it. Like, try to transcend. You know what I mean? And then it's like everybody kind of takes their turn doing that. And I think that results, like, in just a much, you know, much more unique solos. Do you kind of agree with that? Oh, 100%. I mean, some of the solos
2: on the... I mean, I, I, I love Free Jazz, you know, the the previous record, but, but this record, I think, is just on... Like another level. I mean, the Coltrane mm. solo, like Darren mentioned, is obviously great, but uh, Sanders is like amazing. Like I, yes. I, I just that like honk noise he does is yes, yes. It's the coolest
0: fucking it, noise ever. You know, like it just like it sounds so like. Cool. I mean, it's, it sounds like malfunctioning like electronic equipment. No, I know. It, like I've been, it does been not noise sound shows, like you know, where it's like somebody's just playing like a mixer that's broken. And <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah. Like. He is totally on that page and it's, it really is like, it's like so you know ahead I mean? of like this its time. You have a much better chance on this album, like of just it's on and you're like, oh, that's Hubbard, you know? Oh, that's Archie Shep. You know what I mean? Oh, a hundred percent. You know, I, I, I feel like, you know, I, I, I
2: followed along, um, you know, I, I like Wikipedia has, you know, a list of like the times of everybody playing, but I mean, the people in here that their, their voices are so much more like defined and yeah. i mean i'm, I'm a big Train fan i'm a big sanders fan but like there's no mistaking when you hear that honk like oh, that's that's you know pharaoh sanders coming in you know it, it hubbard yeah, yeah. Shep, you know everybody it's like I, I think this is a much easier one to to be able to pick out and say you know this is this is who you know if you want to
0: impress your friends while you're listening or something <laughs> <laughs> yeah do you find the voices as distinct darren
1: Absolutely. And, you know, I think the same way that we talked about Coleman's, um, the album cover, including like Jackson Pollock, I think the title of this record Mm -hmm. Ascension is kind of the theme that, especially the ensembles where you get the sense of like this, you know, rising, this ascending to a new level and then kind of Mm -hmm. easing you down to where that now you hear it, you hear a solo, um, attempt to ascend you know what i mean um and i the the sound that we mentioned with like sanders and the solo from coltrane it just if anything to me it's like you know define ascension with your instrument and try to try to make that happen you know what i mean and i i feel like that at the very least that was kind of always on my mind as i was listening to this that Coltrane is kind of after this, like, very spiritual, like, kind of other, you know, rising to the to the higher plane, I guess. Higher plane, yeah. And yeah. I feel like it's, you know, I feel like it works here. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. So, you know, you guys mentioned Pharaoh Sanders, which I think is an obvious highlight. Um, you know, are there other solos that really jump out of you? I mean, I really, um, I think it's almost, like, weird, like, Freddie Hubbard... His like trumpet sound is so like bright and beaming. Um, He almost sounds like out of place. You know what I mean? He sounds like a more classic jazz, like it's smoother or something. And yet, like it, it just adds to the like distinct group of personalities we have here. A lot of people like um, John Chikai's um, sax solo, which I want to highlight because I think it's really interesting that we're kind of like riding a very similar level, at least the rhythm section. Up until that point and it's like suddenly I don't know if McCoy Tyner gets bored or something but like he just drops out completely for that solo and so there's like a bunch of new empty space and the way that Chekai plays is like very ghostly or like haunting and almost reminds me of Albert Eiler a little bit then on Archie Shep's solo he's just kind of like hitting these notes like like you know sustaining on the same thing and it adds like so much atmosphere all of a sudden rather than like the chords he's been hitting um you know do you so any other solos that you guys really like but don't you do you find it like interesting how the you know rhythm do you find the rhythm speaking to the solos in unique ways as well yeah i
2: i i i think so um you know it, In regards to the solos, like the Hubbard one, like you talked about, um, it it is it's a little strange that like he is the person that's on both of these records Uh, because I I read through a bunch of uh, anytime you know listen to something like. Uh, experimental or whatever. I, I like to read through the, like, rate your music <laughs> reviews, because a lot of times they're really funny. And, uh, you know, I, one thing I noticed like a bunch is, like, people, like, sort of complaining that, like, Hubbard on Free Jazz is sort of the, you know, most normal of, of people. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, like... It, he sort of feels that way on this too and it's like you <laughs> know. know like it it, it it's almost and He's the
0: only one who didn't like really dabble in free jazz. Yeah, exactly. So
2: it's it's like really strange that he is a part of of both of these worlds. I mean maybe maybe both Coltrane and Coleman like wanted a little bit of the rules still, you know, and maybe that's their like uh, uh yeah. reason yeah. for going to Hubbard or whatever, but I I think like yeah, Hubbard's solo here and on free jazz it is like interesting for that reason like I don't know. I just like, I, I really would love to know like why he is the one that's on both of, you know, I, I would, I would love <laughs> I know, to I like know. ask Coltrane or, or Coleman, you know, that, that question.
0: Yeah. What, were there any solos that's that stuck out to you, Darren? Yeah.
1: I mean, I think you guys mentioned, obviously we talked about Sanders and, um, you know, I, I think there's something to love almost about every one of the solos. Yeah, you know, I, I I'm, I'm thinking kind of like of the, uh, the Shep solo in particular, you know, the rhythm section kind of like rises and he rises right along with it. And they just get louder and louder together. And like, it's similar to the way the ensemble piece goes. However, it's just a solo, you know what I mean? Um, I like that, like they give that much room to the soloist. It almost kind of feels like one of those like rap songs where you have a bunch of like guests on it and they all kind of like, uh, get like, a posse their own cut. like, yeah, they get yeah. like their own, like entire verse, um, without really any interruption or changes and stuff. And, you know, I, I think I kind of, you know, in some ways I miss it, like, because like, the way we talked about Coleman and how, like, yes, even during a solo, like, some of the other instruments would just kind of hop in at, at various times, um, almost reminding you that, hey, this is like an ensemble piece and everything. But I sort of like the way that it kind of ebbs and flows here where you have that clear ensemble piece where everybody's involved and and it kind of dies away and then you, you get into another solo and it's it's like another take on the idea of ascension and the you know the next one's always a little bit different than the last one and you're kind of eager i feel like every time i listen to it i'm like sort of eager to like listen to it and hear the different sounds and try to understand all right whose section this is and you know what what's different about their section than previous ones you know what i mean like um it it makes it a little more fun as a listener to sort of make it clear like okay here's this person's solo you know what i'm saying
0: yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's also really key um, in drawing the distinction between these two albums is like I mentioned that Coleman's album feels a bit controlled, but, you know, it feels controlled in the sense of like a Jackson Pollock painting is controlled. Like he, he throws paint and everything at the, you know, at the canvas, but it's design the canvas. You know I mean? like it, yeah. 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 yeah he's, but using he's, also, a can- he's
1: still using a canvas. Right. Right. Yeah.
0: He chooses where to throw it and he chooses what colors need to go where and stuff you know so it's got like the hand of the creator is there even though it seems kind of crazy and so i think that coleman works on the same level this i think is very different in that it feels like very deliberately trying to capture lightning in a bottle or something it feels like just hit the tape and let's go yeah and you hear them kind of like figuring it out as they go along you know sure. um i think that there are some interesting moments here where it's like you know famously Chikai, his solo gets cut off early like you can tell that the ensemble comes in too early because he like takes these long pauses in between lines and he just like takes a pause and then they all come in as he starts to play the next line and then he's like oh shit <laughs> <laughs> and his solo is like extremely short um which is unfortunate but just kind of like a funny quirk here i also hear that like as mccoy tyner is soloing which I also love by the way, because of like how fast he like ripples mm-hmm. these like super long high note lines. Um, you can tell that like the drums are like, All right, we gotta like take it down for the bass duet that's coming up here. And you can just hear him kind of being like, you know what I mean? Like doing a big f- drum roll, like, here we go. Oh, he's still going okay, okay. And then he's like, All right, <laughs> let's take it down. Nope, nope, still going okay. Like, and it makes for, like, a more imperfect thing, but a more, like, a live thing. Like, this is not a painting. This is, like, a living, breathing, you know what I mean? Like, recording of a bunch of dudes in a room tearing shit up. Yeah, I mean, it almost, like, feels
2: like a live performance or something. Like, And, I mean, right. it essentially is. It's just live <laughs> right. in studio, you know, kind of thing. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, I, I like that there are those little, you know, mistakes or whatever. But, again, you know... Uh, like you said, like uh, comparing this to like Pollock and everything, you know, when you, when you see a Pollock in person, you know, you can see footprints where he walked on it, you know, little cigarette burns and stuff. And like, those are sort of the same thing as, uh, you know what yeah. you're talking about, you know, somebody kind of accidentally stepping on their solo or, or ending too early or coming in too early or something, you know, it, I, I really like that as like a, a piece of art, you know, it, it, it it's not perfect. And, I don't think it like should be. You know, I mean, it, yeah, for Because it to it's be about free, a,
0: it shouldn't. Yeah, you know, you're not going to get perfection. And this is about ascension, like specifically. This one exactly. is about like ascending. So it's like it's got to be messy. It's got to be wild. Um, you know, did you kind of get that vibe as well, Darren? Do you? I mean, I want to sort of transition into talking about like how it went getting into this album. Which one you like better between Ascension and Free Jazz? Um, do you like that quality, that messy quality here?
1: I mean, I think I do, you know, and it's really, it's actually very difficult for me to kind of choose one over the other, um, because I, I come, I came to kind of like them for different reasons and like, like, like different things about them so much that, um, like what you were saying, like this kind of like almost organic, like growing, living, breathing thing that, that was happening on record, um, you know, I mean, i i'm a fan of that sort of thing like i love like in a live performance when a band or a group sort of like changes up the formula and kind of explores a bit more experiments a bit more you know what yeah. i mean and like mm-hmm. something kind of comes and out I, of
0: that i hate when like those imperfections are polished out you know like yeah like i like when things feed back a little bit for a second or like you you know, hit the wrong note for a second, you know, like when, yeah, exactly. It's just so polished and perfect. I just cannot stand it. Like leave that shit in. Cause it sounds alive.
1: And like what we were talking about with Coleman's record. I mean, again, we're dealing with like, you know, geniuses like of their instruments. You know what I mean? So like for them to sort of like the, the ability to play as an entire group and kind of like, probably just talk with each other with their eyes or their movements and like right. kind of like read each other and, you know, try to understand what, what, what the person is thinking just by the way they're playing. Like, it's fascinating being on the other side of that as a listener, just trying to like see where this is going. You know what I mean? And again, again, the whole comment I made about like never feeling like this is like amateurish or like, they're just kind of like, you know, effing around or whatever. Like to me, they're, they are still like feeling and like reading each other in in some ways, even though it's, it's like improvised you know you know what i'm saying
0: yeah, yeah yeah and less conversational but does still feel like they're feeding sure. off of each other's energy inspired by each other in real time um for me you know getting into this album i almost feel like i prefer coleman's free jazz and i think like you dan i mean it's only because i've listened to it less and so it still sounds like very novel to me i'm actually like impressed by how controlled and yet free it sounds at the same time um For me, like the big challenge here, like I mentioned, is is those ensemble passages. But one thing that I want to propose is I think it's kind of fun where when you listen through the album, you get to know everybody's like voice and personality. And after that moment, it's not like easy But because they stay in the same place in the mix, you can hear them in the ensemble passages. You know what I mean? So you can be like, Mm -hmm. oh, that was Pharaoh Sanders for sure, like doing that crazy blast that I just heard in the ensemble. And it makes it like almost like by the end, you know, everybody like because the last ensemble is like five minutes long and it does sort of transition back into the love supreme motif. But, you know, you you get to know them and then you can kind of pick them out from the crowd. Um, Did you find this? Do you find this more challenging i guess which one do you like better dan i mean i i love ascension
2: like like i said i for a long time that that was probably my favorite cold chain record not not anymore i i, I i've moved on uh to, to to other ones uh that i listen to more but i i, I mean th- this is just like such a fantastic record i mean I, I i love coltrane i love sanders like so like they, they're two of my like favorite uh, musicians uh, I, I think and you know so this, this record is just like unbeatable but it was like you know ornette coleman free jazz like it's a record i've heard many many times but it, it's not one I, I i frequently um return to uh you know I, I like some of his other records uh quite a bit more but you know so that that one was like more sort of more fun you know because it, it still had like a, a bit of uh novelness to it um but i i think this record is just unbeat this is this is one of the the greatest jazz records of all time one of the greatest records of all time so i i think ascension just uh can't mm-hmm. be beat really
0: <laughs> okay well um we've gone a little over we've done a lot more gushing than i thought we would um but I do want to talk about free jazz in general a little bit here um and i guess it's fine if we go a little bit over i mean we're trying to ascend right here we're trying to capture living <laughs> yeah, we gotta no pass, pass it over it's no rules yeah <laughs> um but now that we've sort of done this exercise and sounds like you know obviously some of us have listened more in the past but it sounds like a smashing success i think we all consider ourselves like we succeeded in getting into these albums at least so for the people that are like me uh when i was younger just like god how the fuck do you get into free jazz what is the best way to get into free jazz what is the best way to approach it to listen to it and make it click
2: well i got into it because i took a history of jazz class in college so sort of like what you did but just uh right right i got i got credits for it, at least um the expensive version <laughs> so yeah do the do the expensive thing um yeah i mean it, it's honestly like sort of a difficult thing I, I i think the maybe the easiest way is is sort of like what you said and and basically what i did is like go through the history you know start kind of at the beginning I really don't enjoy Dixieland or, or New Orleans, you know, style jazz. But you get it, you know, you, you get through it. You you get into Miles. You you know, you move your way through the the bo- the bebops, the hard bops, <laughs> you know, the, the modal, all, all that stuff. And yeah. I think just sort of like 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 we talked about at the beginning, like the free j- free jazz doesn't like just explode from nowhere. You know, it, it, it's kind of the slow progression. So if you yourself make that slow progression, I I think it's it's much easier. You know. If you just if you've never heard a jazz record in your life and you put on free jazz, uh, like free jazz the record, not the genre, uh, I think it would <laughs> like um, I think it would like kind of mess you up, and you'd probably be like, I, you know, you, you you've got no, you you can't even find those anchor points because you don't even have you know th- those anchor points yet. Uh, so I, I think you really do just sort of have to like work your way in it. Like just, jazz is just sort of. One of those genres that you, you, you got to sort of know the history of it. And it's kind of half the fun, you know, like, like we talked about jazz has this like super cool thing. Like when you're listening to, a, you know, when you listen to a Coltrane record, you're actually like hearing frequently some of the other most famous jazz people, you know, it, it it's not right. It's not like and, when you and, when you listen to the Beatles, you're hearing the same four guys uh, every time. Where whereas jazz right. isn't like that. So it, it's so much fun to to say, Oh man, I really like the drums on this one. Who is that? You know, oh it's Elvin Joe. Yeah, I, he's also on this one. I record, think this is know? key.
0: Yeah, this is really uh, you know, the best practical advice I can give is like, well, for one, if you're listening to these albums, do go on Wikipedia and like mm-hmm, follow along. Definitely. They have timestamps of like who's soloing when. And basically you could click on any one of them and then you could go to like rate your music and look up like what is their highest rated album or whatever um and you could do that and be like which one do i like the most let's check it out you know we talked about Pharaoh sanders um solo is like really awesome so maybe you could go there right and he's got a couple classics um but you'll find that every single one of these guys has at least classics. a classic yeah and then when you listen to those do the same thing it will be like wow This guy played on this. I got to check it out. Oh, and then you find like crazy shit, you know, like, you know, just when you first discover like, damn, there's like an album with Eric Dolphy and John Coltrane together. Got to hear that. You know what I mean? And it's like exactly you start to piece it together. Um, How about you, Darren? Did you find like a a good system for getting into free jazz? I mean, maybe even like one of these analogies, like I hear people, you know, we talked about like being at a party or being in a conversation or even people talking about like, uh, thinking about it like being in church where sometimes people like stand up and speak in tongues for a second and other people are like you know <laughs> hallelujah you know on the sidelines and stuff like that you know, like what is the best way to approach free jazz
1: yeah i mean i think you know this might sound strange but like trying to give it some sort of structure i think is important and the way you mentioned going to wikipedia like in seeing how it's outlined gives it enough structure i think that makes it so much easier to kind of understand, right? If you just go into it completely cold, completely blind, it's going to sound like a a mess, just all over the place mess. And you'll have a hard time kind of understanding what the hell is happening. But taking a look at the Wikipedia, kind of understanding, all right, okay, I get it. So there's an ensemble. Now there's a solo. and, And then as you guys sort of mentioned, like, you know, with jazz, which is just a fun thing to do is like digging into all the players that are involved in it and like how cool it is that like these guys who have their own careers, their own albums will then like play with each other and just be like a quote unquote sideman to somebody else. Um, Yeah. It's fascinating and you you could spend, you know, countless hours digging into totally different albums. But as far as like free jazz as itself, like... (laughs) Trying, in your mind, to trying to give it some structure, structure. and then I, I I, feel like doing that kind of structured it in a way that, like, I can, it makes it easier to listen to. So, like, it's, this is not one of those, these records here in particular are not the kind of records where it feels like you have to listen to it, like, 40 times before you can unlock its secret. You know what I mean? I don't think it's, like, so impenetrable to, mm-hmm. to do that. You just might need some supplemental material to kind of help unlock those those pieces and something just as simple as knowing that between the minutes of 15 and like 1730, you know, Eric Dolphy is playing like that helps immensely. And it's not like you need to, you need that every single time you listen to it. Once you've done it a couple of times, you'll then kind of understand, Oh yeah. Okay. This is, this is Pharaoh Sanders. Like I I know this sound. I I recognize it now. Um, Right. And it it changes, it changes the listening experience.
0: Yeah, and and I guess we should acknowledge that nobody uh, starts here. <laughs> you know, like no, yeah, odds exactly. are, odds yeah. are you listen to a Love Supreme already. So that means you know, like half the people on Ascension. You know what I mean? Like, do you love And I think the a Love Supreme is a great
2: place to start, actually.
0: Yeah, it is. And if you love the drums there, you're gonna love the drums here. Like, you know, you are you probably already know Dolphy by the time you get here. You know, it's like, um, so you, you you immediately have a few things to latch onto that give it that structure. You're like, all right, at least I know. I can look forward to that dude solo, you know? Um, so you guys brought up several of these issues that I also want to talk about for a second. Um, is, you know, is free jazz for everybody? Like we talked about this on the, um, captain beef art episode where we were like, should you force yourself? Like, should you do the work to get into this? Or is it more of like a, well, maybe it's just not for you thing. Or is it like a masterpiece? You got to get into it. Um, Is free jazz that way? Is it, like, just for intellectuals, quote-unquote? Does it... I guess it's a separate question, but does it, like, require all this extensive background knowledge? You sort of um, said yes to that already, Dan, but does that mean, like, you know, it's not for everybody? I mean, I think it's for anybody who wants to put the work
2: in. You know, it's not for everybody. If you just like listening to whatever's on the radio or whatever, then... Free jazz, probably probably not gonna you know float your boat, um. But if you have an interest in it, I mean, especially I think if you if you already like noisy kinds of music, you know, noise rock, you know, just noise thing, you you know, even experimental. I mean, you like you mentioned like some of this sounds like Godspeed, and all, and I'm sure like Godspeed is ripping you know these kind of things off. So I think like if you already love music, I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, you you probably it's it's probably for you, you know, It, it it's going to take a little work, if but I've gotten
1: this far on the
2: podcast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I think some of the best records require work, you know, like, like yeah, trout mass replica true. and stuff like that is a fantastic record, but you're not going to like it the first time you listen to it. You know, you've, you've got to figure it out. You've got to unlock it. And free jazz is a whole genre of, of trout Mask replica, you know, um, I think it's definitely worth the work. It's not, you don't have to be an intellectual. Um, It probably helps, but (laughs) you don't have to be, you know, (laughs) like it, it, I, I think jazz just in general sort of gets this like, you know, uppity, you know, college professor intellectual sort of rap. But I think that's actually sort of bullshit, you know, like anybody can get into it. You just, Got to do it. You just you, you got to put the work in. I mean, this isn't this isn't pop music. It, it it it's sort of not the it. It doesn't use the same like uh palettes and everything that like you you're used to from here and from the radio. So you have to you have to sort of like learn. It, it, it's it's like listening to music from a different country or something. You know, you gotta you gotta familiar yourself with. Oh, they're using different you know uh keys or or you know whatever. You, you just you got yeah. you
0: got to put the work in. Yeah, and I, I do think that like. It's it is sort of like useful to know a little bit about the the history because it is so tied into it. Um, and I want to kind of shout out this gets a lot of shit for some reason, but like Ken Burns made this like 10 part documentary on the history of jazz. And it's like really flawed because he's clearly just obsessed with like Louis Armstrong and Duke Ellington. And Mm -hmm. so like most of it is about them, but like it does sort of walk you through all these different things. And it's really helpful to be able to know like what rules these guys are breaking, I think, um. And also to know that like, you know, there are just so many different forms of jazz. There's like fully composed jazz and there's fully like uncomposed jazz. Um, and like knowing what's in between that spectrum, um, you know, a lot of people like uh, for some reason, um, Charles Mingus's like Black Saint and the Sinner Lady is like a really popular jazz album, like exceeding jazz is normal popularity you know what i mean i guess because it's got like almost like a post rockish feel but that's like third stream jazz that's like fully composed Mm -hmm. like in a note for note kind of way by charles mingus jazz and it's like if you don't know that like you don't know what's so fucking crazy about an album like these you know what i mean but um what do you think darren is this is free jazz for everybody should everybody do the work I don't think
1: it's for everybody. I certainly think there's the type of like jazz fan that's really just going to love the sort of structured, you know, like just loving that kind of, you know, and and that's all they really want, right? I think it is kind of like you have to kind of want to see what else is out there. You kind of have to be curious about what what is beyond the typical jazz structure to want to get into this you know and i i don't think that means you need to be an intellectual at all but like kind of like us where you know we had just we're just always very curious about music and the history of music and you know boundary pushers you know those those who like push the yeah, envelope yeah. and stuff like um that you know we you just kind of naturally fall into free jazz because if you're following along at all you'll you will get led there, you know what I mean? So and once you do get led there, I think it is worth it's absolutely worth the effort, um, understanding the history. I, I think it only adds to the experience, as I sort of mentioned before, like just having some understanding changes how you listen to it, makes it more accessible. Um so in that regard, if you're if you are interested in music and going deeper then yes, absolutely, it's it's worth it.
0: Well, let me hit you guys with a slightly philosophical question, I guess. Is free jazz really free? We talked a lot about the structure that's here. You know, it's like ensemble, solo, ensemble, solo. Um, you know, some people sort of criticize free jazz because in a way, they are like as many rules as anything else. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, if you have a straight beat, it's like, not free jazz, doesn't count. You know what I mean? Like, so is free jazz really free? Are these albums really free? Or perhaps you need some structure to actually break the structure, you know?
2: Yeah. I mean, it's like one of those sort of like you alluded to philosophical questions. I think you can't really answer, but I mean, no, I don't think it's like completely a hundred percent free. I think the only thing that is a hundred percent completely free is like just straight noise you know like like harsh noise wall or something you know like there's really sort of no rule there uh although at like many noise shows people try to impose them um (laughs) and the other thing is like like we talked about all the people on both of these records are like top tier musicians you know they they know how to play the instruments they know all the rules of music and music theory stuff i don't understand right. and because of that they like can get outside the the bounds of it but i think still in a like somewhat controlled way you know n- nothing nothing ever sounds like uh well, i was going to say nothing ever really sounds wrong but i guess that depends on the listener maybe but you <laughs> know like I, I think there are i, I yeah, I, I don't I don't think it's completely free, but being completely free is is nearly impossible uh with with music, uh, because it just becomes cacophony when, when it is, you know?
0: Yeah, what do you think, Darren?
2: Yeah, I mean I think we've <laughs> this entire discussion
1: has largely been around sort of defining the structure of these free jazz albums, and I think that we would be having a very Different conversation if there truly was no structure at all, right? And I think we would have had naturally a more difficult time listening if it was forty minutes of just absolutely no structure whatsoever. You know, no right, mm-hmm, right. drum beat. You know, nothing was like even no at crescendo, all. Crescendo, no, no bre- yeah.
0: mellow out. No.
1: Right, well, and when you know, we we fairly easily were able to break down ascension to ensemble solo, ensemble solo. Like I mean, in and when you exactly understand it like that you're able to listen to it like that and you know like but that doesn't doesn't but to me like it is still free jazz i mean what they're doing inside of these ensembles and inside of these solos is unlike any other normal quote unquote jazz record right um so in that case like yeah they are kind of breaking the boundaries they are breaking the rules for sure but could it have gone further? Could it have been even more chaotic to where there's truly no structure whatsoever? Could it be more free, um, so to say? Sure. But, you know, uh, that's, I don't think that that should take anything away from either of these albums or what it, what they accomplish.
0: Yeah, I think that, you know, some people, I guess the it's basically unfortunate that the genre is called free jazz at the end of the day um it's kind of similar to like idm intelligent dance music like oh is regular jazz not free you know what i mean um and in fact ornette coleman didn't like the the name free jazz for a genre he actually sort of insisted that he was a composer um but he might also have had a problem with this idea that like free jazz is free i think if you just like just forget about like the meaning of that name um you call it like avant-garde jazz if you want or whatever even though that's also a loaded term um it's really just like a a different type of you know we started trying to define this and it's honestly not an easier but it's just kind of like a different approach to jazz a different approach to music and it's almost helpful if you just think of it as like you know just just dropping uh those two like big rules key key and tempo you know like just it's just two little things that are taken away and it does create like a very rich like new experience of music but um yeah it's maybe like some people i think think of jazz as like free jazz is like very pretentious you know or super intellectual like we were saying and all that stuff really kind of fades away if you just like just forget about what the genre is called you know what i mean um now last question i think having listened to these albums do they still sound radical today or does it sound a little bit like a you know museum piece or like a piece of history at this point point? and if so like how is it possible that it still sounds radical 50 60 years later i think it does still sound uh a bit radical
2: um you know i mean i i think like somebody like like darren uh being a a somewhat new listener and he still you know had to like work his way into it you know ultimately ending up liking it but i think like that right there proves that it's still radical whereas you know if if darren were listening to uh you know the stooges of the monks or something like he would immediately understand it and you know it'd be fine whereas like when that came out that was very like crazy but I think I think it's like sort of lost its edge. Here, I I, I don't think free jazz has. You know, we, we we wouldn't be having this discussion of is it for everybody? Is it for you know just intellectuals? Is it pretentious? Right. If, if it didn't have that edge to it, still, you know, sixty
0: fifty years later, whatever. Yeah. What do you think, Darren?
2: Yeah, I think I'm in agreement
1: with Dan here. I think it still does sound radical. And I mean, sure, it's historical you know to a degree cuz everything we were kind of talking about the the era that it came out in and kind of understanding the players and what they had been doing and their career that led them to this point um but as far as like the sound itself i mean yeah I, i'm thinking that it's this is rad this is like ra- radical you know as i'm listening to it you know i'm i'm a fan of jazz but i hadn't really explored free jazz so much so as i'm listening to it i'm like man this is these are the masters of of the genre that I thought I knew quite a bit about, or knew enough about <laughs> jazz. Going off and in, into a a new area, a new you know, exploring a whole new arena, and just taking mm-hmm. like their instruments and doing things that I had not really even imagined doing. And what here, what I thought would just be a total mess, actually sounds listenable and something that I can understand and and actually get into. I think is is kind of part of the genius, you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Like to t- to be able yeah. to to be able to prove that like it's actually not impenetrable, it's not just a bunch of noise. Um proves yeah. that it's it's, you know, something special.
0: Yeah, and I kind of mentioned that about um why I think I slightly prefer Coleman's free jazz is that like it's really really remarkable and in fact, I think it's the thing that makes it still sound so radical or so creative all these years later is that it is both like wild rule breaking and yet really like listenable and structured. There's like, there is melody there. There are, there are like harmonies there. There is tension and release and like all these things that, you know, you know what I mean? Like the way that it strikes that balance, all these classic free jazz records of like listenable and yet really challenging, I think it's the greatest you know, accomplishment of this whole movement. Um, The last thing I think I want to say, you know, and like you guys mentioned, like probably everybody who's made it this far already likes free jazz, but just in case you don't yet, um, I would just argue that you probably already like it, you know, because I think the influence of this genre is everywhere. If you Mm -hmm. like Sonic Youth, I think you mentioned this, Dan, you know, you already like free jazz. Like, you know, if you like, Fuck, if you like Jimi Hendrix, you know, when he's like just playing the Star Spangled Banner or any of his like live pieces like Machine Gun or whatever, it's like he's literally directly responding to like the work that people like John Coltrane are doing, like just incorporating aspects of noise into his guitar playing. Like, mm-hmm. I think a lot more people than they realize, you know, actually really, really like this. Um Yeah. I think we, uh, we did a pretty good job figuring out how to get into free jazz. Is there anything you guys want to add? I don't think so. Well, what do you think?
2: Uh, we'd love to read your thoughts on the air. Email us, popshieldpod at gmail.com. Next episode, what a surprise. We're not sure. Uh, if you like the show, help us out by subscribing. Leave us a five-star review wherever you get your podcast. You can stay connected to Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. All that junk is at popshieldpod, and we'll see you in two weeks. See ya. So long.